The first reading is taken from Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 to 9, and can be found in the Church Bibles on page 670. That's Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 to 9, to be found in the Church Bibles on page 670. Everything is meaningless, the words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and then turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. And the second reading can be found on page 1014 of the Bibles and is taken from Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 17. That's Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honour your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? 
Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Let us begin with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you would send your spirit amongst us, that we might hear from you this morning. Lord, we ask that you would open our ears to hear your word, open our hearts that we might receive it. And open our eyes that we might see you and know that you are calling us and what you are calling us to. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I began with um, the reading on Ecclesiastes, not because it necessarily folds into um, the passage in Mark, But I do believe that it's appropriate because the writer of Ecclesiastes talks in a sense of the meaninglessness of existence. And we live in an age of an ever-increasing sense of meaninglessness. Anxiety, depression, and suicide have increased to unprecedented levels among young people especially here in the West. Meanwhile, death from drugs and suicide are spiking. They are so-called deaths of despair, which are concentrated in the white classes, and especially the working classes. And they have soared in the past two decades. Across generations in the Western world, we seem to be suffering and dying of new levels of loneliness in an age of crumbling institutions. Now, I think that's a fitting backdrop to Mark's account of Jesus and the rich young ruler. Now, Mark talks about a man, and the word used refers to a younger man. And that is also found in Matthew. Luke refers to him as a ruler or a prince. And so we've come to know this man as the rich young ruler. 
But this, you, you would think this rich young ruler, think of that. He had wealth. He was blessed with, with what he wanted to purchase and could purchase. He had youth. He wasn't old. He had his whole life in front of him. And he was a ruler. So he had power. But apparently this did not, didn't satisfy, and I don't think it does. Because we are more than just material beings. And that more is what he pursued. In other words, he appeared to have it all, but he lacked one crucial thing. And that is what our talk is about today. Now it begins with his question of Jesus. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, if you understand the text and the scripture and what's going on, this is a loaded phrase. And one that we tend to misinterpret. You see, our views of heaven and earth and hell were shaped largely in the Middle Ages going forward. The idea that if you're good, you go up to some uh, another dimension where God is. And if you're not good, then you go down. And that the world is static. And we in this life are facing all kinds of tests to find out if we go up or down. But recent biblical scholarship has shown that this view has very little to do with the world of Jesus and the Jews and the followers of him at his time. And they have recovered a far more accurate view of what was understood by Jesus and his listeners as to what constitutes eternal life. You see, eternal life and its inheritance was all about this world, not some other dimension apart from it. Both Jews and early followers of Jesus, Jew and Gentile, expected that this world would be transformed into God's kingdom. And those who inherited eternal life would be welcomed into this restored Eden where the redeemed human beings would be liberated from death, illness, sin, and corruption. Thus, eternal life was not an escape from earthly existence, but its renewal. And that this new kingdom was about to break into this world. The Messiah was going to inaugurate a new age and a new kingdom where this world would come in. And we see immediately in the Gospel of Mark that this is what Jesus announces. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now the second thing that we often miss 
is this is what he's asking about is who shall inherit eternal life. Now you don't inherit things by earning them. You get them by being an heir. So when someone dies, the family's called together, and if someone comes in from the outside, they go, they're not family, they don't inherit it. So it's very important that we understand the rich young ruler's question is, how do I remain in the covenant? Who is within the covenant? What do I need to do to be part of that covenant? It is not, in a sense, an earned righteousness, which has informed much of Protestantism. But as recent biblical scholarship has shown, it's a rather, who are the inheritors? Who is it are these people that are going to be part of this new kingdom? Am I one of them? Would be a better way of looking at that question. And so the question of the rich young ruler has immediate existential power in this passage. What conditions must I fulfill to be recognized as a true heir? Jesus' reply, why do you call me good, begins to throw the question back upon the rich young ruler. The obvious point is, are you the Messiah? Only God is good. And Jesus turns the question back on the rich young ruler. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery or steal, or lie. Do not defraud and honor your parents. And the rich young ruler says, I have done all of these and kept them from my youth. And so apparently, he's in. He's done everything that was expected of him. Yet precisely here, the mood of the passage changes. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. And here hinges the whole passage. He turns to this young man and in love says, Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Now what began as an academic question now becomes deeply personal. But not just personal, covenantal, and of shattering importance. You see, what he's saying, and what Jesus is saying to this young man and putting the question to him, 
is that the covenant people will not just be known by following the law, but by those who are committed to following Christ and making the sacrifices that that entails. And it is exactly at this point that the young man grows disheartened by the saying. And it says, he went away sorrowful, for he had uh, great possessions. Now, the money throws us off here. We see it as setting yet a new condition for inheriting eternal life, a new condition for salvation. And even the disciples are shocked at that. They say, who then can be saved? And Jesus reinforces this as he turns to the disciples, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples grow more and more agitated. As I believe we do too. This is a very high bar to cross. But go back and look at the passage. The question wasn't just so much the money. The question was the relationship to Christ. It wasn't a condition so much for salvation. But it was a condition for mission. What Jesus is bringing to this young rich ruler is, why are you here on earth? Are you here simply to obey some rules and enjoy the good things of life? Or are you here to be part of the covenant people of God who are to witness to the nations? Notice that the condom or the the rejection of the young man is not repeated for the disciples. The disciples say, We've left everything for you. And Jesus doesn't say, well, not enough, you need more. No, that's not what he says. He says, those of you who have left your homes, your families, who have given all things up for the gospel, will receive all the more when the kingdom comes, when the new age is ushered in. What is clear is that this is a call to mission. And the disciples have committed to that. So Jesus' personal word to the rich young ruler was radical. But it was not a new commandment to be fulfilled. Jesus overturns the assumption of the rich young ruler and the disciples, and even us. That what the gospel is about is forming a people who are committed 
to mission. And this is the understanding of inheriting eternal life, a life informed by mission and ministry. And the early church, as this was their expectation of Jesus' return. They followed Jesus the Messiah, who had inaugurated the kingdom of God and were convinced uh, that the world would be transformed in their lifetimes. This inauguration, however, was far from complete, and it required their active participation as the people of God, now made up of Jew and Gentile, to fulfill God's call to mission and to redeem his world. Indeed, doing God's kingdom work is what the people who are to inherit eternal life are to be about. It is about being part of God's work on earth and being part of winning and bringing those who don't know him to know him so that they too will be part of that inheritance. And so mission is about what life's about. And the question that Jesus would ask us, or the answer that he would give up to ask us is, are you committed to mission? Are you willing to make that sacrifice and come and follow me? You know, we were looking at the missionaries who had done just that. But one of the things that's very important, it's not just individual. It's corporate. This church has set aside and is doing mission. That is a sign that you are part of that covenant people of God. But is God asking more of you? What has been God's question to you? Have you been willing to sell everything and follow him? We began by looking at the rich young ruler and how he went away disappointed. I want to talk about another rich young man a little over 100 years ago in the city of Chicago. His name was Charles Kalman and his wife, Letty Kalman. Now, some of you might be familiar with Letty Kalman. She wrote a great book called Streams in the Desert. And Letty, at that time, they'd just gotten married, and neither of them were very committed church attenders. And she was particularly worried about Charles because he had just gotten a new job and was rising in the Chicago business world, And she would have liked him to be a little bit more churchly. And so she was nagging him all the time to come to church. And sometimes he reluctantly would, but most times he would not. But then there was a speaker who had come into Chicago who was well known. His name was A.B. Simpson. 
Simpson is the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance and was known as a powerful speaker. And so Letty thought, well, I will bring Charles with me, and maybe some of this will rub off. Well, Charles reluctantly went, and they sat down in the third pew, and everybody was singing hymns as they did in the late 19th century, and there was quite a lot of energy in the building, and they were all looking forward to hear uh, A.B. Simpson speak, and he was sitting in the chair. And so it all came to the great crescendo, and they called on Dr. Simpson to speak. Dr. Simpson got up to the pulpit, and he said, God is here. We need to take an offering. But Letty's sitting there and going, oh my gosh, I brought Charles down here, and he's not even going to preach. All he does is give an offering. He said, Simpson said, pass the plates. So they're passing the plates. And as it was coming around to their pew, Simpson took out his paycheck, signed it, and put it in the plate. Letty was shocked. What are we going to live on for the month? How are we going to make it? He's just given away our whole monthly paycheck. Oh, my gosh. He's lost his mind. So they collected it all and they brought forward. And Simpson gets up and says, God is here. We need to take another offering. Let it go. Well, we have no money to give. <laughs> and the plate went around. And as it was coming around, uh, Simpson took out his pocket watch and put it in the plate. And she was shocked. It was his prized possession. And here he'd put it in the plate. Now, the world was very different then, but Simpson got up again and he said, we need to take another offering. Now Letty's really had it. And this time it comes around and Charles reaches over and he had given her a beautiful ring the month before and he took it off and he put that in. And now Letty is just so, so angry. She's just fuming. And finally... Simpson gets up, and he says, we need to take one more offering. He said, there are people here who God has called to serve him, to lay down their lives, and to share the gospel with the world. He said, if that's you, you need to come on down, and you need to commit your life the missionary service. Charles turned to Letty and said, that's us. Charles Kalman went on to lead the Oriental Mission Society. It's one of the most powerful missionaries in Japan. Letty's book, Streams in the Desert, is read by more Chinese believers than any other devotional. But what's important is that utter commitment to the calling of God. That the ultimate value is to serve God and to bring his message to the world. And so the question is for us this morning. What shall we do to inherit eternal life? Give all that you have and come and follow me. Amen. Amen.